Hello, hello. Welcome to a brand new episode of the SaaS Prince podcast, the podcast for content marketers in SaaS. And I'm your host, Yag. In today's episode, we're going to learn how SaaS companies can amplify their brand narrative through organic content. To discuss that, we have with us one of my favorite people on the show, Morgan Ingram. He's one of those rare people who are great both at selling as well as content creation. He is the founder and CEO of Ascension Media Productions, a company that amplifies brand narrative. He's a strategic advisor for Champify, Cognizant, Lavender, and a lot more. Given how brilliant his content is, it is no surprise that he has been featured on Forbes, Sales Hacker, HubSpot Blog, and the HBR. So without any further ado, hey-ho, let's go. Hey, Morgan, I'm super happy to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. So excited to have you today. Right. So, Morgan, the interesting part is, you know, I've followed you for a long time and we have been in touch on LinkedIn for quite a while. And I've often seen you, uh, you know, get named as a LinkedIn's sales top voice, I think at least four times. And the best part is you didn't even set out to be a personal brand in the first place. And now you're all about amplifying brand narrative using content. And I specifically see you talking about narrative-led content. So let's start there. You know, what is narrative-led growth? And um, maybe, you know, if you can show us the connection between how content-driven conversations in different platforms connect to revenue. Narrative-led growth, product-led growth, community-led growth, people, I mean, like, there's there's so many of them, <laughs> right? Like, at the end of the day, like, we're, we're all just coining and making terms. Now, the, the thing is, is that we have to understand the core of, like, why are those terms happening? The... The thing that most people yeah. know, but are also maybe sometimes afraid to talk about is that most of these products are very similar and they can quickly update their products more than they could in the past. So if someone comes out with some new, I don't know, AI function, the product team could probably replicate that within six months. So now we're in a world where like, yeah, your product has to be good at the same time. Like that's not really what we're aiming for. What you're really aiming for is a narrative that can be its own category, dominate its space in a completely different way, and people gravitate towards your messaging and your story and your content. I believe that the narrative is not going to come from the just the company page. It's going to come from the employees, which comes to the people-led growth. But you, you can't have people-led growth if there isn't a good narrative, because you're just going to have people randomly creating content. Even if it's good, it does not tie into anything. So that's why when I say narrative-led growth, it ties every single thing that anyone is talking about. In order to have a good community, you have to have a good narrative and a mission that is bought in. If it's just a marketing group, nobody cares. But if it's a, something around a mission, people care more. So when I say narrative-led growth, it's really charging and being a part of a mission and being obsessed with that mission and getting advocates for that mission rather than just like, let's just create content for fun, which you can do that, but that's not the purpose of what the brands are trying to do. No, absolutely. So who is in charge of coming up with this narrative? Um, you know, often in smaller companies, Maybe a CEO sets the tone, but as companies grow bigger, what happens? How does it feel? Yeah. So yeah, CEO has to set the tone, right? Uh, coming from anyone else, like that's not going to make a whole lot of sense. So it needs to come from yeah. there. And then from there, it, it can distinguish between three to four individuals. So one is as a company gets larger, they have just a head of brand, a VP of brand. So that person obviously is going to be over that narrative and, and have massive control over it. You also could look at your head of content, your VP of content, that person might be over the narrative as well. You also could see the CMO, 
would most likely be over that. And even some unique cases, maybe the HR leader would be ahead of that narrative as well. Again, that's a rare scenario. So those are the people that would really be driving and looking to have those narratives and, and put you in the right spot to make sure you continue to drive it. So that would mean that, you know, you also have to give all the employees some guardrails as to, you know, this is, you can, you can freely go into this, but you know, don't say this, don't say this. Is that how it works? Yeah. So, so are you a basketball fan? Uh, I no, not much. Okay. Okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to give a relevant, what would you, what sports do you watch? I watch football. I watch cricket. These are two of my favorite. All right, cool. So the, I hate this team, but it's the best example. So the new, the new England Patriots, <laughs> right? The New England Patriots. Right, yeah. Right. Uh, when you said football, did you mean soccer or American football? Because now this might be a terrible soccer. example. Soccer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, 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 okay. All right, so, ah, okay. I, so I don't know uh, basketball names. I, I do know people. I know the sport. So, yeah, I, I would love those examples as well. Yeah, okay, we're going to give a real example. So, I'm, I, we're not going to use anything like Patriots anymore. We're going to use what some people know, Michael Jordan, the Bulls, Phil Jackson. All right, so they ran something called the triangle offense. So, the triangle offense had really, like, a lot of freedom, but there was guardrails. You had to follow a system, but you had freedom to do whatever you want, but it was part of the system. So when Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, Kerr, the whole entire crew, they would run, they were running this offense, even though obviously Michael Jordan has the freedom to do whatever he needs to do, he still ran this triangle offense that you know effectively went on for them to win those six rings and then obviously got implemented with the Lakers and Kobe and went on to win five. So the the my, my purpose with this is is that you need to have some type of system. You need to have an understanding of what's our mission, what's our narrative, what's our connective tissue, but then still allow people to have the freedom. There are going to be people in your organization that are really good creators and you had no idea that they were and you have to give them the freedom to do so. Otherwise, it's not going to be as successful, right? It's not going to make a lot of sense. So you really want to be able to look at it and say, okay, how can I put myself out there more? How can I make sure that I'm you know, getting the most out of it? And then at the end of the day, giving them those freedom guardrails is what I like to call it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right. So let's, let's move into, uh, say, the LinkedIn side of content, right? So let's take uh, LinkedIn video messages as an example. And um, do you have a typical framework that, um, you know, kind of converts better? Because today... Every SDR is using uh, video to basically uh, prospect and uh, there are more and more tools empowering them. But do you have a framework for them? So this is, we're prospecting now. We're not talking about content. Yes, two, correct, okay, correct. okay. So that'd be two different answers. Okay. So if you're going about and doing some prospecting as a rep, you're putting yourself, you're putting yourself out there. Uh, this might be a controversial take. I actually would not tell you to do a video message prospecting first. So typically people might be like, I want to do a prospecting message first. I would actually stay away from that. Even to a degree, I would not have it in your original campaign because you're going to get burnt out because you're not going to get responses. So one of the initial things you need to think about is treating your sales engagement tool, whether you're using like, I don't know, Groove, Sales, Outreach, Output, whatever you're using, right? There's a lot of them out there. It's going to tell you if someone's opened an email. Now with my team in the past, and what I do myself as well is when someone opens an email, let's say they open it three times. We then would say, okay, this person is heating up. And so what we would do is we put them in something called a video flow, video cadence sequence, whatever you want to call it. We would put it in that. And then we would send them a personalized yeah. video made for them. Now, this had a 70% open rate, like a 25% reply rate. And the reason it was so successful is because if someone showed intent, and maybe they didn't reply to the email, at least we could send them a personalized video to get a response. 
which is our whole goal and our whole key out of this entire thing. And so that's what I would tell people to do. Now that you've done that, the next step is what is the framework to send this video? So the framework that is tried and true, I have not seen it fail or drop off yet is, so that's the first 10 seconds, the 30 seconds and the 10 seconds. So how this all goes down is the first 10 seconds of your video, it needs to be the reason that you are reaching out. So let's say you did some research on a website, you went on LinkedIn and found some information. Those are things that you're looking at. And that's like a compelling reason why someone would want to watch your video. Then the 30 seconds right. is the value prop. So the value prop essentially is, what is something that I can offer someone that is uniquely different than maybe someone else in compare, basically in complement of the 10 seconds of why you're reaching out. And then the last 10 seconds is a call to action. So that could be like, would you be interested in learning more or are you open to learning more or whatever? So those are things that you're doing in these scenarios so that you can see success in your video prospecting. The last thing that I'll say, and this is a small detail, but people fail here, is make sure that you smile at the beginning of your video, especially at the first three to five seconds. It's really important to seem like you're an approachable person, even if even if you're, if you're not. Like you want to seem like you're approachable, right? So that, that the thing is, like people are going to be more open to hearing you out at the end of the day. If you look like you're upset, then why would someone even want to open that video? Make sure you have good lighting. You don't need a master camera, but you just need to make sure you're presentable. And people just forget these like small details. No, I absolutely love this. One, I definitely did not expect you to start with, uh, you know, don't use this as a first thing, but it makes logical sense, right? So if you're uh, sending out, say, uh, 20, 30 videos a day and you're not getting a response, you're going to be obviously burning out, frustrated. And then, uh, yeah, the last little detail, people don't think about it. A lot of people get very conscious once the camera is on. So I think that becomes super important. I love that. Exactly. Right. A lot of our listeners, uh, you know, here are uh, primarily SaaS content marketers. So I'm going to switch a little bit and uh, go into that mode a little bit. Say you are particularly big on uh, the creator economy. A lot of your LinkedIn posts are leaning towards helping creators get better at their craft. So what does it mean to be a better creator in today's world? So maybe, you know, if you can explain it from a content marketer's perspective, that'll be fantastic. A content marketer, well, okay, so follow-up question. A content marketer's perspective as in, I have people internally and I want to be better creators or I'm identifying someone externally to be a creator or a part of our campaign, which is, again, two different lanes. I'm talking about content marketers who are creating content for their prospects or for the readers. If they are putting out content, uh, you know, um, in today's economy, how should they go about it? Well, okay, so no, this is, some people are not gonna like this answer, but it, this is just the reality of the situation. Before you even start creating content, before you even do anything, you need to figure out who your audience is. Right. Most content marketers don't even know what their audience does. And I've just had conversations with people like, oh, I don't even know a salesperson. Well, okay, you're marketing to salespeople. <laughs> you don't know what they do. You don't know what their day-to-day -day is. You don't understand the metrics. Like That doesn't fundamentally makes no sense at all. So before you even think about doing anything, you need to be understanding your audience. You need to start talking to your clients, et cetera. So, the reason that my first piece of content on LinkedIn was so successful is because I was speaking to SDRs, but guess what? I was an SDR. So it was, it was very easy, right, to talk about this content. And all my content is from the basis of something that I've actually done and I've experienced or I've, I've talked to certain people, right? So that's where most content marketers miss. They don't talk to the people that they're trying to talk to. They only look at what content I would like to consume, not what the audience wants to consume. So. Before you even start thinking about all that stuff, you need to like start thinking about like, who are you actually talking to? And have you talked to those people before? Have you engaged with them? Have you asked questions? Do you know what their day to day is? These are things you got to ask yourself. And then 
Well, and then once you start doing that, then it's like, how do we want our audience to feel? That's a question you need to start asking yourself as well. Do we want them to feel like fun? Do we want them to feel like this is serious? Do we want them to feel like this is, you know, witty? I don't know. But you have to start thinking about that. And then the next stage is what type of content are we going to do because we have identified these things? So is it more video? Is it more series? Is it more uh, infographic based? But the everything that you're going to be able to create content on and everything that matters is who's my audience and what do they care about and what are their pain points? And then how do I create content around that on a tactical basis? Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, in fact, you know, it gives me a lot of memories of my early days in my career because I started as a salesperson and then became a content marketer over a period of time. And um, funny enough, you know, when I was in my first role, I was got into a meeting, a sales meeting, and um, wherein my boss asked the marketing head, who's going to, uh, you know, work on the content for this product launch? And uh, he said, hey, these three people who are on the team, they are going to be doing it. And my boss was like, those people who are not part of this meeting haven't heard a single sales call, who have never spoken to a salesperson. Are they going to be the right people working on this? And yeah, yeah, that was like, like wow. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's what happens. So like most content marketers and not, it's not, we're not blaming people. It's just what it is. Most content marketers don't know what their audience that they're marketing to do. That's not helpful whatsoever, right? Like that's like getting on a flight and trusting the pilot and he's like, I've never flown this plane before. <laughs> oh so you should, you should trust me. But that's what's happening. It's like, you have a content marketer's like, yeah, trust me, I'm gonna make good content for people I've never talked to before. I don't even know their pain points. That to me doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but it happens way too frequently. Yeah, can't agree more, absolutely. Right, and uh, you know, a lot of content marketers, let's say they understand uh, how to create content, who is it for, and say, for example, they're using a tool like Avoma or Gong and trying to listen to customers on a daily basis. Let's say they are creating great content. And then not a lot of these content creators are also great at repurposing them effectively. I mean, people create eBooks, blogs, webinars, podcasts, so on and so forth. Some work, some don't. And uh, interestingly, when I was researching for this episode, you know, I somewhere heard that, uh, you know, you spoke about this concept called Angel Falls. So I would love to understand what that method is because we here allow frameworks and methods that we can implement immediately. Yeah, so everyone knows about repurposing content. I think a, a lot of a lot of that thought has been there. Make a podcast, repurpose it, et cetera. Make an ebook, repurpose it, et cetera, right? And then you've heard of the content waterfall, which is like you do a show or you, not like a show, but like you do like an hour episode of something and then you repurpose it in multiple different ways. So the, the Angel Falls method just takes that to a, a, a different level. So the way that I think about content is that first and foremost, you have to put your brand narrative to a content narrative and make a long form content. And when we create long form content, we treat it as a production. So an example of a production would be like a video podcast and we treat it like an, a legitimate show. So it has a season, it has episodes and we treat it as such. And we treat it beginning to end as a real production. Uh, employee executive interviews, that is a production. Uh, your eBooks are, are a written production uh, and your white papers are written, are, are written productions. And then you can even go further and say LinkedIn live events, et cetera, you see where we're going. So in the Angel Falls method, we, we focus at the beginning, uh, at the top of the waterfall on what are your productions and your shows? And the difference in this is that within the Angel Falls method, we are going to take these long form shows and not only repurpose them as 
mid-form content, which most people don't talk about, which is like a blog post or, yeah, it could be, it could be, a, it is like a LinkedIn post, a YouTube video. And then short form is like you know, the TikToks, the YouTube shorts, the tweets of the world. So that's great. But the next level to that is we're inserting employees to also repurpose your long form content. So most brands as of right now create these webinars and things of that nature, but they may not have their employees in there as a way to repurpose the content through the employee. So if you have your employee get on an hour show, we should be able to repurpose an hour of that show to give to your employee to now post on behalf of not only their personal brand, but the company brand. So the Angel Falls method essentially is not just a waterfall that just provides a small amount of nutrients to the ecosystem. The Angel Falls method provides a ton of nutrients to your entire ecosystem. And when you think of your ecosystem, that's your marketplace. And the goal is, is that because it Angel Falls, the waterfall is the biggest waterfall in the world in Venezuela, you effectively with your content, you want to be the biggest waterfall in your marketplace. And you effectively want to not only drown everyone out, but you want to be able to provide multiple nutrients to your potential clients. So they know exactly who you are and when they're ready to buy, they'll buy. And then your customers are excited because you make good content. So let me try and understand this further with an example. Let's say, for example, I'm creating this podcast episode. And from here, we create certain snippets. And then the, uh, you know, then it, becomes a blog post or then uh, say there are a certain carousels that go on um, social media. So apart from that, I mean, this is regular repurposing. Now you compare this scenario into the Angel Falls method. So how does that become different? So, so once you've repurposed the content from there, the, the main difference here is that what we're doing is we're actually distinguishing as different pieces of content. So when people repurpose, they just repurpose it as content. The difference is we're saying mid form. So there's mid form and that's distinguished to a certain channel. Then you have short form and we're distinguishing that for a certain channel. Now for an individual, like, yeah, effectively it's going through you, but you're the host, you're the owner of this podcast. So that would be fair. I'm talking about from a company level, the unique difference is that it's going through the employees. Typically once a webinar is done, it goes just through the company page and it's, it's over. The next level of the Angel Falls is we're actually putting it through employees so we can amplify this message even more to make it more unique and it's tied to those productions. So that's the unique take. Here, like, it's pretty straightforward because, like, it's it's your podcast, so it's going to go through you. Like, you're the employee of the podcast. But in terms of a company, that doesn't happen. Ebooks, webinars, they all get cut off and they never get repurposed. And they also never get repurposed through the employee. If you used an ebook that you paid $250,000 for, which people do that, right? You just wasted resources for one to two months because you'd promoted it and then it died on the vine. What if you had employees that could repurpose that through to actually elevate this different story? So that's the difference in the Angel Falls method. It's really geared towards like the B2B brands more than anything. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, now that you speak about employees, here's, here's the interesting thing that I've noticed when I look at it from, a, say, for example, an employee advocacy standpoint. There are very few brands like Lavender or, say, Chili Piper or Refine Labs that kind of do it really, really well. But the problem about this advocacy or spreading this kind of content is that on one side, you cannot force, uh, you know, everyone to create content, uh, say, for example, on LinkedIn. And two, when they do, uh, you know, you also shouldn't be a control freak trying to uh, put everything. So how how do how does a typical SaaS company, you know, truly empower their entire org uh, to get them on the flywheel and uh, making sure that this works through perfectly? So you're not going to get every single person to do it. I think that's why most people fail is because they're trying to force people, every single person to do it. 
And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If you look at Lavender, not every single person in the company of Lavender is posting. It seems that way, but there's not. There's only like five to 10 people who post. Like Gong, it was only like three to eight people who post. It felt like everyone was posting, but they weren't. And that's that's the impact factor. So if you're looking at it from a company perspective, you have to look at it in terms of three buckets. And I just literally had a call yesterday with the client and like, this is how we're going about it. And like, this makes it really simple for people. The most important person in your organization that should be creating content is the executives, period. Like what most people go wrong is they want the sales to create content, but in some scenarios that isn't as impactful. Your executives are the most impactful people because they have the network that you want to get in front of, right? They're already connected with those people. They just need to see the content, right? And so you have to find ways to support them to bring out the content, which is part of the services that I do. But the main key here is that we want to find who are the executives that are going to be that megaphone. Now, could it be the CEO, chief product officer, the CRO? I recommend people, the buyer that you're looking to get in front of should be the spokesperson for your company, right? So if you want, if you're going after CFOs, your CFO should probably be posting, right? If you're going after CMOs, your CMO should be active, right? And if they're not, that you're just wasting a lot of opportunity in my opinion. So that's the first step. Then the next step is like the director manager level. So these are people who are in the trenches with their teams and they can give more tactical feedback and as content. And then you're gonna get that audience of directors and managers. And then the next layer is the individual contributors so those are your SDRs and AEs. SDRs and AEs work really well in the MarTech SaaS space, or no, MarTech and sales technology space in SaaS. And beyond that, there have been success stories that I've heard. At the end of the day though, like not every single person is going to be able to do this. That's why I recommend executives is a, is a foolproof plan. It doesn't matter what organization that you're in, that will work. Directors and managers, that will mostly work. Reps, that's where it becomes a little bit trickier, but it can work if you get it down because it's, it's again, a waterfall method. If these, if the executive is fired up and they're posting content and they're excited, the directors and managers are gonna get excited and then the reps are just gonna fall suit, right? So it's leading by example, this is how this works. And you only need, like realistically, you only need two to five people to post consistently. And my last point on this is that you only wanna find people who are hand raisers. So ask everyone in the organization, who wants to create content? Who wants to be a mini amplifier? Who wants to be a part of this advocacy program? 10 people raise their hand. Cool. You do a workshop with them, four people consistently post, that's all you need. You don't need every single person to post because that's not feasible and that's not, it's just not a reasonable thing. I absolutely love this, you know, because this has been one of my personal frustrations over the last five, six years when I've been, you know, working with SaaS companies, wherein I did try to get a lot of people on the board and the interest is there initially for the, say, for example, a week, then it dies down and ultimately it comes out to a point where they're just becoming billboards of the organization when there is a fundraising or when there is, uh, you know, a big product launch, then people post. Otherwise, nothing happens. But yeah, this makes sense. When I look at Lavender, you're so right. You know, it's either uh, Will Eitken or uh, Jen or a few people like that. And uh, absolutely, it does It does look like, uh, you know, a whole lot is posting. But yeah, the same five, six people, the worst marketer in the world. It's the same people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, this, it's the same people. That's why this, this is really, this is an extremely important point. Uh, so I'm a strategic advisor for Lavender. So what I'm about to say is not saying like I'm against anything but you but people really have to understand this so lavender has a multiplier effect they have people who are content creators and 
they they came in as content creators. So this is something that people have to understand. They didn't build that. That was something that they acquired, right? That they went out and got. Now, the people in those roles, they're 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 more than just content creators. They are actually good at the day-to-day job that they do, but they happen to also be good at creating content. It's a very very rare scenario and not most people in the space will ever be able to do that. So People get intimidated or get overwhelmed that what Lavender is doing. I'm saying, but that took time. Like it took them years to get there. And I think that's important. And also as well, like they acquired these people that are also the content creators that they are, right? And they also are good at the data jobs. Extremely rare and, and a very smart move that they did. So you everyone has to pay attention to that. And then also as well, like the content that they create is also different than how people want to create as well. Like they've they've created that voice and brand. You have to go figure out what your voice and brand is too. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Right. So let's, let's talk about a couple of examples there. You know, maybe uh, when we look at how companies can create angles, you know, if you can give us a couple of angles as to how somebody can amplify the brand message without losing the authenticity of the individual that's posting it. So, okay, we're getting an employee and we, we want to make sure that it just remains authentic. So when there's an information given, like say I'm posting it, somebody else is posting it, you're posting it. Now, each of it also has to have that individual flair, flavor of who it is. Otherwise, you know, oh, it'll okay. be copy-based. So pause. Information given, like what, like what is that? Like you're just saying, here's a blog post, go post it. Is what you're saying? No, I, let's say, for example, I'm talking about uh, we are doing a product launch today and uh, I'm uh, giving them three or four post content that is shared on Slack and broadly saying that, hey, this is the core messaging. Put your own spin. Okay, but ultimately so what happens is everybody is going to not do it. That's the problem. What you just said is the problem. So let's, let's like, so we have a product launch that comes out. We have the product launch that's coming out. We post it in Slack. Everybody share this. It's going to be garbage. Everyone's going to share it. It's going to be the same thing. Nobody has no energy and nobody cares. And then you just actually just wasted, you just wasted time for everybody. And that's what happens pretty consistently. And it's funny because that's essentially like getting the cold email that's not relevant that everyone complains about on LinkedIn. But then employers do the same thing and they do it with content. It just doesn't make any sense. It's literally the same thing. Like nobody cares. So the thing is, is when you think about it, it's how do you provide it in a unique way to give people perspective that they can actually comment on it? So what I would recommend people to do is when a product update comes out, get your CEO, get the chief product officer, do a quick 20, 30 minute interview with them. And I'm not telling you to drop the whole interview, but use that, right? 20, 30 minutes, get the highlights from that conversation and provide context to the people that you want to share. Hey, we did an interview with the CEO, the chief product officer for 20, 30 minutes. Here are the highlights of the conversation. Um, take, you know, take these highlights and then, you know, mention how it's contextual for you. Right. And, 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 and do that. Right. I think that also is a, is an important piece is, giving people the context also as well like telling telling people like what's a highlight on how it's going to help them in the product i think that's critical too but i find that the product updates those announcements you know they end up being pretty stale because like it has really a lot of the employees don't really have the full context so they end up just saying we have this new thing out here you go if you interviewed the ceo cpo maybe you would get more insights and more highlights and things that people could use as context and be like hey i'm really excited about this because our ceo said this right and, and that adds a little bit more flavor to it at the end of the day. So in terms of that information, I always tell people to be a curator, like we have the content, but add your own spin to it. Not just, we have this new product update. That's not gonna do anything for anybody. 
No, absolutely. You know, two key things that I take away from this is, yeah, absolutely. Curation is the key and putting people, you know, people putting the spin on it. And second, I really, you know, something that is stuck in my head right now was you saying, especially with the example of Lavender, as to they hiring people who are great at the core job and at the same time also being able to create that content because uh, Will was on the show and Will Aiken was like, hey, dude, you know what? Uh, while whatever I do, it gives results. Yeah, that's fine. But at the end of it, you know, I wouldn't be doing this or I wouldn't be allowed to do all of these things if I didn't drive my sales results before that. So absolutely, right? So yeah, two amazing takeaways there. Right. So that brings us to uh, the next section of the podcast, which we call the rapid fire section. I'm going to shoot five pointed questions at you. The questions may be short, but the answers need not be. So let's speak whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's get it. All right. So here's question number one. In one word, how would you describe building brand narrative through content? I'm going to just amplify amplification. Love that. Amplify. Cool. So here's question number two. Something that you have said a few times of late. You said, I don't think people understand what's about to happen with AI. What are we missing? <laughs> a lot. This is this is not a one word answer. So it, the thing is... <laughs> Yeah, I know. This is not. Hi history repeats itself. Most people don't like to study history, but they should. History was my favorite subject in high school and college. Looking back on it, I probably would have just majored in it now knowing what I know today. But, you know, you know, neither here nor there. So the thing is, is that we've gone through certain revolutions, right? We've gone through the industrial. Well, yeah, we've gone through the agricultural revolution, which was we had a ton of farmers. We had a ton of people out in the fields, et cetera. And then machines came along and then it took those jobs, which created new jobs. Which, by the way, as I go through this, as people lose jobs, there's always new jobs, too. So it's not a negative when people lose. I mean, yeah, obviously, but there also is new jobs that happen. Then you have the Industrial Revolution, which was everyone was going inside of a factory and working, which is what our school system is based off of. Different conversation for another day, but that's that's what it's based off of. Uh, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> right. Like Ford built the whole thing. That's literally how they built the system, right? So machines came in took those jobs so people had to go find new jobs whatever they may be and so that happened then you had the computer revolution so if you were to go to the store today half the store is self-checkout and half are people checking it out so here's the thing ai is gonna do the same thing and the thing is nobody cares until it affects you so you probably don't pay attention when you go to the grocery store and realize that half those people are not working anymore you probably don't care because you're like this is faster for me however you will care when we get into sales, we get into marketing. And if you're pushing a lot of buttons and you're not doing a lot of creative thought, the likelihood of you getting replaced is very high. So if you're just a rep, just like I'm, I send a thousand emails a day and I'm chilling, well, an AI can effectively do that actually better than you at this point. So you probably should be thinking about it. If you're just a concept marketer and you're just like, well, I use ChatGPT to write all my stuff. And, oh, okay, that's not good. Or if you're just clicking buttons, automating stuff, you're not doing a whole lot. So when you think, right, or like, think about this, right? When, you, when you're thinking about all this, like people don't understand what's coming because if you are using your knowledge you already have and you're putting it inside of AI to replicate your thought process, replicate the way that you do things at a faster pace, you're gonna have a higher output than most people. And if I can have a higher output than most people, I don't have to hire as much people I can be leaner. I can find other ways to be more efficient and I don't need people, right? The biggest cost of the business, what is overhead is people, right? And so if I can find ways to mitigate that, I'm going to do that. And that 
I'm speaking as me, but I'm speaking as any VC business owner. They're gonna that's what they're gonna do. And so I don't think people understand what's coming because people aren't actually using the products. They're just using AI to write a lullaby or like a love letter or something like that, or to find out your recipe, right? These things are relevant in some form or fashion, sure, but you should be using it to figure out how can I do my job more efficiently. And that's the only thing that I'm focusing on right now is how can I be more efficient with AI? How can I remove manual tasks? How can I move faster? That's where we're going. But the thing is, people don't know what's coming because they're not using it and they don't understand it. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. You know, it's, it's a lot like uh, until COVID hits your country, your city, you're not going to realize. Yeah, uh, you're like, what whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Love that. Right. So here's uh, question number three. What is one terrible CTA that you would ask all content creators to refrain from? Mm, this is this is a harder one. I from a sales perspective, I have an answer, but the content one is like so many. Um, I, this is this is one I I don't really like. I, I really don't like this one. I see from time like let me know your thoughts on this. I don't know. I just don't. I just don't really. I don't like that one at all. And also in the sales ones, any thoughts on like I don't. I just don't like that. Because I feel like it complicates things. I like if I have thoughts on something, I got to think about it. I don't want to think, and then I'm a tune out. I just there's just something about that I don't like. So yeah, I'm against that one. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, the next time uh, you know when I look at certain emails, I'm like, let me know what you think. Tell me, do you want to answer or not? <laughs> not this, right? Yeah. That's one. Like, let me. Let, no, I don't. No, I just don't want to do that. So though, no, I'm I'm out. Right. So question number four. What is your advice to somebody who's starting as a content creator today? So you need to ask yourself, what do you want to be known for? That's like the first step. Then you have to ask yourself why you want to do it because it's a strenuous journey. Don't let these people fool you. This is hard. So a lot of people make this like it's a simple thing. Like it's not. So don't fall into that trap. That's why you have to ask yourself, what do you want to be known for? Because the problem is most people are just like, I want to monetize. It's like, Okay, whatever. I want to get a hundred thousand followers. All right, like it's cool once you get there, but like you know, it is what it is. Like none of that actually matters. What really matters is like, what do you want to be known for, and like, who are you talking to? And if you don't know that, then uh, all this other stuff is just irrelevant. And and other people will try to tell you otherwise, and like that's not true. Then the next step you need to figure out is what are the five content pillars that support what you're trying to be known for, and you need to know what the, you actually need to actually be competent in those topics. This is important. Most people fail because they're like, oh, sales, I'm back at, back in the day. Sales development's hot, prospecting's hot. I'm gonna talk about prospecting. And you could, people could tell, like I can tell, like you don't know anything about prospecting. I'm not, that's not in a mean way. I just, you just don't know that. Like I would never talk about being a CRO. That'd be, that'd be dumb. I've never been one. So I can't speak to that. And people who are CROs would be like, who is this kid? Like he said, no idea what he's talking about. So that, that you need to know that. So the five topics you need to be competent in or, or constantly learning. Either or, if it's none of those, don't even put it as a five of the topics. It's going to be pointless. And then once you identify that, the next step is the three uh, the three mechanisms of delivery. So there's video, there's audio, and there's text. And so some people are really oh, writing. So some people are really good writers. Great. So you, if you're a really good writer, your writer is going to translate into audio when you do like a podcast because you, you've already written it out. And then you can do videos because you've written it out, right? Some people like me are really good at video. So everything I do literally is videos. And then I have everything just transcribed from the videos. Like I don't do a whole lot of writing because like it's a, a weakness that it just takes more time. I'll just, I can literally do a video or a voice note faster than I can write at this point. Cause I can just be like, boom, boom, boom. It's crisp, concise out. Right. You need to know that. And so 
those three mechanisms. And then the next phase is figuring out what is the one platform I want to start with. Don't try to start on all platforms because you're going to get lost. And don't be fooled because the people you're like, oh, well, I saw The Rock have multiple because he's The Rock. You're not The Rock. So you can't, you can't go on all platforms and then pop off because you're not The Rock. That's not how it works. You have to start with one understand it, master it, know where the audience is at, and then you grow from there and then you expand, right? So now like, you know, I did LinkedIn for, I was all in on LinkedIn for like five years. It's like the main platform I use. Now I'm on Twitter, now I'm on YouTube, now I'm down on Instagram. I could I could do that, I have the luxury to do so because I was on a platform only for that time. That was it all day long, it's the only platform I stayed on. You have to do that work to get the long-term results on that. And then my last point here is you could not copy, please don't do this, don't copy because this is most people fail emulate your creators and what i mean by that is how do they how do they approach their content like strategically how they frame it what's the style why are they why are they getting engagement study that don't study how they actually talk because then you're gonna be creepy in a second work <laughs> just oh, yeah. not like it's like i've i've fallen on this trap like you know eric thomas is yeah I tried to be like him. So all my videos were like, yo, yo, it's Morgan. J-. I tried to be him. Right. And it's like, it didn't work. And then I like try to act like Gary Vee. That didn't work. So then I was just like, okay, I like these people. So what are their strategy? And then I was like, I could be more me, but most people just try to be that person, but you, it's just, you're not going to beat them. That's who they are. Yeah. 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 No, I absolutely love this thing for so many reasons, because many a times when I talk to people and, uh, you know, ask them, what kind of content do you want to create? They don't talk about the domain that they specialize in. They don't talk about the the specific audience uh, they're going to go after because you need to be a specialist in that area. If you want to build trust, you need to be known for that. They're like, I want to be like Gary Vee. I'm like, dude, you're starting in the wrong place. You know, don't copy Gary Vee. The final rapid fire question, and this is a fun one. What is your reaction when someone sends you a LinkedIn connection request with a message like, Hey, Morgan, looks like we have mutual connections. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, if there's a if there's a bucket near me, probably throwing up. So it happens pretty often. So and some people may think I'm very sick. No, it's just that that's just what's happening. I, I, I ignore them at this point. Like, I if I see it and I'm like, I'm in a certain move, I will click ignore or I will just actually just ignore it. There's nothing there. There's nothing. There's nothing there ever. It literally always ends up being a pitch. Is it being annoying and end up being frustrated? Every time it does not fail. So I'm like, I'm done with it. I don't want to do it anymore. It's a waste of time. No. It's, it's like you getting an email saying, how are you? Looks like, you know, uh, I hope this reaches you in the pink of hell. I'm like, you don't care. I don't care. Why? <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are we, what are we actually doing here? Yeah. It's, it's probably, it's one of the most frustrating things by far. I'm not a fan of it. Not a fan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. And I can see that. Awesome. So you've hit all five questions out of the park. That's fantastic. And for all the listeners out here, if they want to find you, what's the best place to connect with you? Uh, yeah, so I get really in-depth with founder and sales advice on my newsletter called The Commish. So if you want to go subscribe to that, it's just morganjingram.com, super simple. And then everything else moving, everything else from there is the same. So everything's at Morgan J. Ingram. I like to keep it simple. So Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Uh, definitely check out my YouTube. I'm looking to do more there as well. And then obviously check me out on LinkedIn too. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. I'm sure a lot of people will connect with you after this. And uh, do you have a parting message for our audience? These are predominantly SaaS content marketers. So yeah. I would encourage you all to think about one experiment that you want to do this year that you're afraid to do because you can't measure it. 
Now, obviously, some of you may be freaking out as you hear that, but I, I just want y'all to like really like think about it. Like, what is one experiment that you want to do that may be like out of scope and try it? And you could do it on a small scale. Now you don't have to do it on a massive scale and try out something different. Because at the end of the day, the only way you're going to stay on this market is being unique and different. If you're just like, oh, everyone wants to do it, we're going to do it. Like, then you're just following the herd and the herd goes nowhere. The herd follows the leader, right? So you have to figure out how to do that and be unique. And that's important. Right, right. That's awesome. And that's really, really a wonderful message to end this episode on. Thank you so much, Morgan. It was such fun to uh, have you here. I really, really appreciate that you spent the time with me. Thanks for having me.